So we are continuing in our series on apologetics and we are wrapping up now. We have this week and next week and they will be on the same topic. Um, the purpose of the series, as we stated at the beginning, was to anchor us and reassure us in that what we believe can be trusted. Uh, we do not have an, or nor follow a blind faith. My belief in God is not some uh, metaphysical abstract belief uh, that I hope there's a God out there. It is anchored in the fact that um, the design of nature itself speaks to the fact that there had to be someone who designed it. Um, and we talked about the surety that we can trust the scriptures based on um, writings, extra biblical writings, historical facts, um, even uh, books like uh, or, or findings like the Dead Sea Scrolls. And we established all of these things and we've gone through doctrinally what that means for things like the Sabbath or the state of the dead. We do not believe that when you die, you're in heaven looking back at us. Nor can you interfere from heaven with the affairs of men. In fact, the Bible says the opposite. And so we've gone through all of these beliefs and we have landed here. Establishing the remnant church, the time of the end and all the things we've discussed. We land here on one of the most difficult aspects of Adventism for many. A lot of people that on this particular point leave the church. I'm going to ask um, that we, you know, we really focus today. And that we look at what God is trying to say to us, that we understand the gravity of what it is we're dealing with. Because if we don't get this, we often will be in big trouble because there is great power in what we're being told in the spirit of prophecy. So I want to go to our scripture reading, Revelation chapter 19, Revelation chapter 19 and verse 10. Revelation 19 and verse 10 says, And I fell at his feet to worship him. I fell at his feet to worship him. And he said unto me, See thou do it not. I am thy fellow servant and of thy brethren that have the testimony of Jesus. The scripture says, Worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. A message this Sabbath, as we continue in our series on apologetics, is Ellen White and the spirit of prophecy. Ellen White and the spirit of prophecy. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this opportunity to study your word and to study these challenging issues. Once again, Lord, I ask that you make me just a nail upon the wall, a rusty Sorry, nail, Lord. But upon that nail, I ask that you hang a portrait of Jesus Christ. Let Eric Walsh not be seen or heard. Instead, Father, let us hear a word from the throne room of grace. Our prayer in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen. So we're going to go to the book of Revelation, and we're going to study this subject biblically and then historically um, and really look at this. And there's a lot for us to cover, so I'm going to move right through it so please pay attention if you have your cell phone put it on airplane mode um and please focus do not be distracted satan does not want you to hear this message revelation 19 and verse 1 and after these things 
I heard a great voice of much people in heaven saying, Alleluia, salvation and glory and honor and power unto the Lord our God. For true and righteous are his judgments. For he hath judged the great whore which did corrupt the earth with her fornication and hath avenged the blood of his servants at her hand. And again they said, Alleluia. And her smoke rose up forever and ever. In Revelation 19, it, you, it comes in right after in Revelation 18, Babylon falls. This is a direct prophecy of end time. And more importantly, as you look at it, it is a statement about the condition of the end time church. What you're looking at are the people after they realize that victory is to be had. They're celebrating by calling on God. Hallelujah. Salvation. And in the Greek, it's the salvation in order. In other words, we have acquired salvation, glory and honor and power unto God. True and righteous are his judgments. Why would the end time people say this? Because they understand the doctrine of the investigative judgment. His, just, his judgments are true and righteous. He has judged the great whore, which did corrupt the earth with her fornication, and has avenged the blood of his servants at her hand. Again they said, Alleluia. Revelation 19 and verse 4, And the four and twenty elders and the four beasts fell down and worshipped God that sat on the throne, saying, Amen. Alleluia. And a voice came out of the throne saying, praise our God, all ye his servants and ye that fear him, both small and great. So the four and twenty uh, beasts fall down. They worship God as well. A voice comes from the throne. Praise our God, all ye servants and ye that fear him, both small and great. John here says, and as I, I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, of the voice of many waters, the voice of mighty thundering saying, Hallelujah, the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. As we come towards the end of time, as we deal with end time things, one of the uh, reoccurring themes and one of the things that ought to anchor us and reassure us is that the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. In other words, you do not serve a God who is short on power. I don't care what you're going through today. You can stop and pause and praise God because the Lord God omnipotent reigns. They go on to say in verse seven, let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him. Why are we going to give honor to him? Before the marriage of the lamb has come and his wife hath made herself ready. What does this represent? This represents the second coming. The fact that the bridegroom spoken of uh, uh, in parable uh, in, in Matthew, uh, 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 that the bridegroom is coming. And you remember from the parable of the of the five wise and five foolish virgins that it's represented that Christ, like the bridegroom, will come. The marriage of the lamb has come. And who is his wife? It says that the church is ready. Oh, y'all missed that thing. There's a time coming when God's church must be ready. How does the scripture define it? And how does this then tie into the spirit of prophecy? Well, let's look. Verse 8. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, 
clean and what? What does that fine linen represent? Righteousness, a right character. The church is ready when the character of the church has reached a place where it's where the, what, what clothing represents. That's why the Bible says you don't want to be naked. Let your nakedness be uh, displayed. The Bible warns against that. What you want is the fine, clean, white linen. For the linen is the what? The righteousness of the saints. Ah, so that's why when you go to church, it, it, it is imperative that the messages we preach are messages that call the saints to righteousness. You go in there preaching that, listen, you can just kind of uh, stay in your sin and, and your sin is all right with God. And, and you let me tell you something, that is not the, an end time message. That is a satanic message. Verse 9, and he saith unto me, right blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said unto me, these are the true sayings of God. Church, what we are dealing with as we deal with apologetics and even with this message this week and next week is what it takes to be called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. This is a special invitation. And John even pauses as these are the true sayings of God. And so as this messenger is talking to John, John uh, in Revelation 19 and verse 10, it says here, and I fell at his feet to worship him. This is our scripture reading. And he said unto me, see thou what? Do it not. The angel said, no, 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 no. Hey, don't drop and worship me. I am your fellow servant and of thy brethren that have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. Why worship God? For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. That end time church whose linen is white, who's been made right before God, has something called the spirit of prophecy. This spirit of prophecy works to move people in a special way. In fact, I'll go back to our last message on uh, uh, in apologetics here. Revelation 12, 17, which says, And the dragon was wrought with the woman and went to make war with the remnant of her seed, which do what? Keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. So it's the remnant we're speaking about that have this testimony of Jesus and keep the commandments of God. Anyone telling you that you do not have to keep God's commandment is telling you to be disqualified from among the remnant. That's why, as we talked about in the children's, it is important that every thought be brought under captivity of the Lord. Every time an ill thought comes to mind, we need to focus and call on God's name. It means we ought to not uh, allow the enemy to implant in our minds these thoughts by what we watch or listen to. We must be careful. We are called to be among the remnant, called to wear white raiment. Scripture reading again. I fell at his feet to worship and he said unto me, do it not. I'm your fellow servant and of your brethren that have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So as always, we have some questions that we're going to look at today. And here are four questions for today. Number one, do prophets appear before great divine events? Number two, Will prophets and prophecy be around at the end time? Number three, 
How will we know a prophet? And number four, is there a pattern as to how prophets are treated? So, you know, well, let's get into the first part of this and then we'll so much to cover, but we're going we're gonna to go through this swiftly. Number one, do prophets appear before great divine events? Amos chapter three and verse seven answers that question, doesn't it? Amos chapter three and verse seven says, surely the Lord God will do nothing, but he reveals his secret unto his servants, the prophets. When God is about to move, he reveals his secret unto his servants, the prophets. The prophets then can tell the people. Now, I remember being at Oakwood and taking a, the class, um, the gift of prophecy class. Uh, I'm trying to remember who taught it. It wasn't E.E. E. Cleveland. I think it was Elder Shand. Um, and they, and the, in the class, one of the things he said is that most of us are confused about what prophecy is. We think prophecy is predicting the future. He says, but true prophecy is not just about predicting what's going to happen. True prophecy is a not just a foretelling of what God is going to do, but a foretelling of what God is doing. In other words, a true prophet isn't just concerned with telling you what's going to happen. He's concerned about delivering to you a message from God that will change your life. So does God send a prophet? Absolutely does. You remember the story of the flood? Did a prophet get sent? Absolutely. Can you imagine what it must have been like for Noah to be the one, only one preaching for 120 years? Maybe his son's help. I don't know. The same message every week. It's going to rain. You need to get ready. It's going to rain. But notice, Noah as a prophet is not simply a prophet because of what he preached. The Bible says he's a preacher of righteousness. He's not, not just because of what he preached, but what he preached for. And he didn't just preach in word. He preached in action. Every time he raised a hammer and struck a blow to build that ark, there was a message going out. Noah was saying, it's going to rain. And I don't just say it's going to rain. I believe it's going to rain. I'm telling you something, each one of us need to be hammering on that ark. Genesis 6 and verse 9 says, Noah was a just man and perfect in his generations. And Noah did what? He walked with God. Noah walked with God. So the prophets always appear before big events. The Exodus, Moses, one of my favorite Bible characters, Moses and the Exodus uh, and the miracles that Moses did. This is what, what the Bible says about Moses. Again, every time God does something big, he shows a prophet. And he said, hear now my words, if there be a prophet among you. Numbers 12, 6. I, the Lord, will make myself known unto him in a vision and will speak unto him in a dream. It says a lot about how the prophetic gift works. Look how deep it is with Moses. My servant Moses is not so, who is faithful in all mine house. With him will I speak what? Mouth to mouth. And so this gift this spirit of prophecy did it did multiple things in each case so far the flood and in the exodus it was not just the job of the prophet to tell them what was going to happen it's going to it's going to rain and two god's going to deliver us it was get your life in a condition to be ready for what's going to happen the other one is the babylonian exile right we'll get deep into this one but jeremiah was called to be a prophet for that time look at what it says before i formed thee in the belly i knew thee and before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee, and I ordained thee a prophet unto the nation. Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, all contemporaries, 
all prophesied during the time of the Babylonian exile. It was critical information warning them not to uh, side with the Egyptians against Nebuchadnezzar, warning the people to turn from their idolatry back to God. And Jeremiah gives them the hope of the fact that 70 years they would be in bondage, but they would be restored every time. When Jesus came, same thing. Luke 7, 28, for as I, I say unto you, among those that are born of women, there is not a greater prophet than who? John the Baptist. If the, the Messiah was coming, the work had to be done. He would be anointed at about 30 years of age. His own cousin was sent as the, as the forerunner, and he was a prophet. How many books of the Bible did John the Baptist write? None. A prophet does not have to write a book in the Bible to be a prophet. Deborah never wrote a book. She's a prophetess. Nathan went to David. Does a prophet have authority even if they don't write a book? Nathan went to David. David, David had been, had been caught up in some real shenanigans with Bathsheba. He killed her husband and, and, and was, she was expecting a child for him. And Nathan goes in and Nathan says, gives him that whole parable about the ewe lamb. And when it's over and David is infuriated and says the man should repay fourfold, Nathan says, you are that man. David doesn't say, I, I need to see your book of the Bible before I believe what you're saying about me. Authority does not come. And you got to understand that because there are a lot of people who, who, get, who, who, who don't understand the gift of prophecy or the, and, and how the spirit of prophecy works. The last biblical one I'll mention is this one, and that's John the Revelator. As the new church was about to be birthed after Pentecost, and there were many prophets as the church was birthed, weren't there? There was Peter was a prophet, if you read Peter's writings. Obviously, Jesus was the greatest of all prophets, Matthew 24, Luke 21. Um, obviously, Paul wrote prophecies. Um, but John the Revelator is the one we think of probably most in the New Testament. Revelation 1 and verse 3. He says, Blessed is he that readeth, and they that hear the words of this prophecy, and keep those things which are written therein. For the time is at hand. John wrote it because there was a timing issue to prepare the church of his time. And powerfully, these prophecies don't just apply in the time they're written. God writes, has them delivered in such a way that they can be applied to us today. And if you really think about the power of God's word, the Holy Bible, one of the things that's powerful is you can, Matthew 24, uh, uh, correctly instructs the people of this day how to avoid the siege of Jerusalem and the destruction at the hands of the Roman armies, yet the same chapter warns us to how to be ready for what God is about to do today. So, does God send a prophet? So, if something great is about to happen in the world, you would expect a prophet to appear. I want you to get that. Because there are a lot of people who think that when the, once the Bible was canonized, there, there, that was it. But God doesn't function like that. Again, not every prophet was canonized. Not every prophet wrote a book that got into the Bible. Yet, prophets arose, and there's many more uh, um, instances I could write, at times when it was necessary. So, let's move to the last days. Is there a prophet for the last days? Matthew 24 and verse 11. And many false prophets shall rise and shall deceive many. When Jesus gives beware and warnings about false prophets, notice he doesn't say um, beware of prophets in general. He says beware of what? Now, if you're saying beware of false prophets, what does that mean? 
that there must be some true prophets. Now watch this, Matthew 24 and verse 22, it says, speaking of the last, last days now, and except those days should be shortened, there should no flesh be saved, but for the elect's sake, those days shall be what? Does it seem like these days need to be shortened? On our ride to church, we're talking about you right now. You scare you. you again, you, you go into public. You don't know what's going to happen. For there shall arise false Christs and false prophets and shall show great signs and wonders insomuch that if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. Some of these false prophets in the last days would not only be prophets, they would show great signs. We talked about when the last days would begin. We said 1798, at the, at when uh, Berthier, Napoleon's general, uh, went in and he and he and he um, took the Pope captive and took him to France. It was a deadly wound, um, and that that deadly wound would be healed. But we know that starting in 1798, the end times began. And here's what it says: it was Revelation 10, 8, 9, and 10 says, "And the voice which I heard from heaven." Spake unto me again, speaking of the end time, go and take the little book. Which book is that little book? The book of Daniel, which is open in the hand of the angel, which stands upon the sea and upon the earth. And I went unto the angel and said unto him, give me the little book. And he said, take it and eat it. What does that mean? Read it and digest it. Understand it. When you take the book of Daniel, which is the prophecies that we're speaking of, especially the 2300 day prophecy. I'll show you a picture of it again in a second. When you take it and you un and you begin to digest it in the last days, something would happen. He says, take it and eat it, and it shall make thy belly bitter, but it shall be thy in thy mouth sweet as honey. Daniel says, and I took the, I mean, Re John the Revelation says, and I took the little book out of the angel's hand and ate it up, and it was in my mouth sweet as honey, and as soon as I had eaten it, my belly was bitter. This is speaking to the great disappointment. Once they began to study the book of Daniel and the 2300-day prophecy, and they thought that for sure Jesus was coming in October of 1844, they thought it, that was it. Remember, the time of the end had begun. This is the last time prophecy in Scripture. It ends at 8, 1844. Um, and so this was the end. And at that point, something great had to happen. You would expect a prophet, or prophets plural, would arise at this time. If you look at the pattern of the Bible, the flood, the exodus, the exile, the, the first coming of Christ, the early on, the onset of the church. We just reviewed that briefly, but you can you would have to expect that once again, God would send a prophet. We went through this already, but these prophecies are anchored in stone. They are they are immovable because just as it predicts, Jesus is anointed. He is crucified. And the gospel goes to the world, just as it predicts, at the heart of the prophecy. So what happened? In 1844, a remnant church, William Miller preached his heart out in the early 1800s. Um, an Advent movement rose up. People from all the different denominations came together. Um, but when Jesus didn't return, when you study and read uh, the history of, our, of, of, of the Advent movement, they said that they wept all night bitterly. Some went into fanaticism and began to believe that there's no real God, no real heaven, no real earth. It's all just a spiritual thing. They went into some forms of fanaticism. But as we talked about a few weeks ago, a small remnant of just 50 to 100 people remained faithful. 
They started to study the Bible to try and understand what happened. They had, they had, they had misunderstood the prophecy that the, uh, the sanctuary would be cleansed and thought that the earth was the sanctuary and they missed it. And so God, don't miss this church, sent the spirit of prophecy, uh, the gift of prophecy exercised in order to help them understand. And it wasn't just Ellen White. This is higher medicine. He said we, he was envisioned as he was going through a cornfield. In fact, he was passing through the cornfield because he was trying to avoid the ridicule and the jeering that came because the great, because they had had this great disappointment. Those who had never believed were ridiculing them and mocking them. And so he was cutting through cornfields. While we started and while passing through a large field, I was stopped about midway of the field. Heaven seemed to open to my view and I saw distinctly and clearly that instead of our high priest coming out of the most holy of the heavenly sanctuary to come to this earth in the 10th day of the month, seventh month at the end of the 2300 days, he for the first time entered on that day the second apartment of that sanctuary and that he had a work to perform in the most holy place before coming to the earth. He went back and he studied, they studied the prophecy, the, this parable of the, of the virgins, five wise, five foolish. And it said the bridegroom delayed and they began to understand that this is why the bridegroom was delayed. Because there was a work to be done. And that work that needed to be done was the work of, uh, that is happening now uh, in the investigative judgment in the most holy place of the sanctuary. Let me ask you guys to just shut the, the door there to the back of the sanctuary. It is the, an important and incredibly important work. Acts chapter 2 and verse 16. In order for you to understand how important the spirit of prophecy is for the end time. But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God. In what days? He says, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy and your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams. And on my servants and on my what? On my handmaidens, I will pour out in those days of my spirit and they shall do what? Did you see that? It is, it is, it is told that there will be prophecy in the last day. It will be poured out. We saw Hiram Edson and there are others. Four and others, some got the messages first and didn't want them. There was one who was African-American and worried that being African-American at that time to try and be the one who would carry this message forward would be too much. And so he passed on it. Watch this. Ellen White's first vision. December of 1844. It says, and if they kept their eyes, she was speaking. She, after the great disappointment, she was, she was so upset as well. She began to try and figure out what had happened. The great disappointment really hurt them. And so she had her first vision at 17 years of age. And again, if I had time, I'd show you what other prophets prophesy about and what they say they have visions about. But I want you to notice what the, the content of the vision. She, was, she looked up high into the heavens and in vision she saw this narrow road leading up and a light from behind them so that they knew where to step. That light was said to be the midnight cry. Look at what she, the, 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 the word she says. And let me just pause and say this. 
Part of the reason so many people have problems with the writing of Ellen White is because they've never read her writings. What I find amazing is that I've, I've had discussions with people who tell me all the reasons I should. There are people who text me after I preach my message and say, why are you using Ellen White? And my question is, how many of her books have you read? There are people who tell me they have not read a paragraph of one of her books, but are totally against her writings. The proof in the pudding is in the eating. It's in the tasting. Watch this. And if they, this is her talking, uh, um, uh, giving this advice. And if they kept their eyes fixed on Jesus, who was just before them in this vision, her first vision, leading them to the city, they were safe. But soon some grew weary. And they said the city was a great way off. And they expected to have entered it before. Then Jesus would encourage them by raising his glorious right arm. And from his arm came a bright light which waved over the Advent people and they shouted, Alleluia. Look at what she says. Others rashly denied the light behind them and said that it was not God that had led them out so far. The light behind them went out, leaving their feet in perfect darkness, and they stumbled and got their eyes off the mark and lost sight of Jesus and fell off the path down into the dark and wicked world below. First vision. Who does she tell them to focus on? If I had time to go into, and I will touch on it in a minute, all the other prophets, one of the first signs of all the false prophets is the focus is not on Christ, it's on who? The prophet. The second thing is she's warning people not to give up on the light. The light represents the loud cry. All the preaching, the Advent preaching that had been happening in the Millerite movement, her warning is if you're not careful and you ignore what has been preached, your feet will be in darkness, you'll trip and stumble and fall back into the world. It is a call to wear the fine linen of Revelation 19. It is a call to be careful because the world is constantly trying to draw us into its darkness. One of the reasons Ellen White is so disliked is because her writings are so corrective. And there are a lot of folk that don't want to be corrected. I remember when I was a kid and they would read passages from messages to young people about entertaining and stuff and sports and competition. I would be mad. I don't want to hear. I'd clog my ears. I want to play football. You don't like what's being said. You don't like that she says, stop eating meat. So you stop reading her writings. You don't like what she says about music. So you, the whole factions of our denomination have thrown out her writings because they want the music of the world. Selected Messages, Book 1, page 55. Abundant light has been given to our people in these last days. Whether or not my life, look at what she says. This is before she dies. Whether or not my life is speared, my writings will constantly speak and their work will go forward as long as time shall last. My writings are kept on file in the office and even though I should not live, these words that have been given to me by the Lord will still have life and will speak to the people. Is that true? Let me tell you something. I was doing a crusade in a place called Frankfield, Jamaica. You've probably never heard of it. Way out in the bush. 
way out in the bush. Bugs the size of spacecrafts. And I remember going door to door. I preached for like three weeks. The church when we got there was only 17 people. When we were done with the crusades that we ran, there were over 70 something souls baptized. And I remember going door to door. We went to places in Jamaica where they don't even, they still live off completely off the land, up in the mountains uh, where horse drawn carriages are how they, 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 they get around up there and they, and they till the ground with, 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 with ox and no machines. It was powerful. They lived completely off the land. And I'll never forget, we went all the way out there. And when we started to invite them to the meetings, some of them pulled out books by Ellen White. How did you get these books out here? There's not even a road. Decades earlier, coal porters had gone and scattered the word. When we preached, it was no, no it was no, no, um, Coincidence that so many accepted the truth. That read it, many of them. They just didn't know what to do with it. She says that this thing will go everywhere. Look at this. This is from the Ellen G. White estate um, websites, these two next two slides. During her lifetime, she wrote more than 5,000 periodicals and 40 books. As of 2019, more than 200 white titles are available in English, including compilations from her 100,000 pages of manuscripts published by the Ellen G. White Estate, which are uh, accessible at the Adventist Book Center. Her most notable books, Steps to Christ, The Desire of Ages, and The Great Controversy, have been translated into hundreds of languages. In fact, the, uh, no, the Steps to Christ is 140 languages and found on, in every country basically in the world. Third grade education. And this is the, uh, the extent of these writings. And I could, I, could, I could really step back and tell you that her advice on health and on education. I was reading, uh, reading one article or listening to one message and the guy was saying how from one country in Eastern Europe, they, somebody actually took the book education and the guy took 80% of the book and just rewrote it and made it the educational platform for his country. When the Adventist pastors read what he was putting out, they said, wait a minute. This is the book Education. Now, let me tell you something. If you've not read these three books, you, can, you will never understand the power of the Spirit of Providence. And I don't believe you write, read her writings um, uh, separate from the Scripture. I believe you read them in tandem with the Scripture. Most of her books, there's plenty of biblical reference. In fact, when I read books like The Desire of Ages, Patriarchs and Prophets, Prophets and Kings, I read the chapters you see, every chapter gives you the chapters of the Bible that she's about to discuss. If you read the biblical chapters first, then read it. It becomes one of the most uh, 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 robust commentaries on the scripture you will ever read. Folk have never read The Desire of Ages. I was reading one uh, literary um, uh, scholar who said that, uh, who, who said, of all of the books about Christ, The Desire of Ages is one of the greatest, most elegant books ever written on the topic of Jesus. Ellen White say website. This is what they say about the website, about the traffic she gets. Watch this. We would like to share an update to a few astounding statistics about the White's estate's evangelistic nurturing projects. LNG White writings, websites, and apps are now available in 137 languages. 
This past year, our website and apps, this is from 2021, uh, has grown, uh, from 20, yeah, 2020 actually, has grown to 7.5 million average monthly visitors. So far in 2021, this was midway last year, over 80 million users have visited E.G. White Writings. That's more than four times the number of Adventists in the world, or about four times. I've, let me tell you something. I have gone into, into, into um, Baptist churches, into the pastor's study, and found sitting there Ellen White books. I remember one pastor uh, told me that the pastor said that he, he, when he was doing sermons, he would read it. He just wouldn't tell his congregation where he got the stuff from on Sunday. I went to the Soul Vegetarian Restaurant in Atlanta. I used to love going to Soul Vegetarian Restaurant in Atlanta. I meet all kinds of famous people at the Soul Vegetarian Restaurant, run by the black Hebrew Israelites of that generation. They're very different than the ones now. But I'll never forget, because they believe the health measure, completely vegan soul food. And I remember going into their bookstore, and guess what I saw sitting on their bookstore? Councils on diets and foods and ministry of healing. I say, y'all don't even believe in Jesus. <laughs> but he said it was good instruction. One of my best friends, a Muslim, raised with me in the church, went to being a Muslim. He said when he, he decided he needed to get healthy. He left the church when he decided to get healthy. He didn't go and read the Quran or the Hadith. He went back and got Ellen White's books to read. These, this is not just writing, and she never claims, she doesn't even want to be called a prophet, to be honest with you. She definitely never claims, and this is critical, that her writings are above the scripture. In fact, she says her writings are a lesser light to the greater light of the Bible. And she puts it in such a way that she is never ushered as the, uh, as the issue, which is the difference between all the other prophets you would discuss in this time. In fact, many of them Ministries and ministers, they, you know, it's, it's, it's the self that is pushed forward. This is what they say, never before have so many visitors searched, read, and listened to Ellen G. White's writings, either on their computer or mobile phones, with 2.5 billion search queries, 152 million page views, 274 million downloads and stream requests, and 36 petabytes. I have no idea how big a petabyte is. 36 petabytes of data served to 200 countries worldwide. So, does God always bring a prophet on? Yes, he does. Has there been a prophet for this time? And again, I, 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 it, it wasn't just Ellen White, but she is the one whose writings are enduring. So the question then becomes, how will we know a prophet is a true prophet? Because Jesus says, beware of false prophets. Matthew 7, enter ye into the straight gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. Many there be which go in thereat. Speaks to kind of that first vision she had. Because straight is the gate and narrow is the way which leads unto life, and few there be that find it. Beware of false prophets which come unto you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are what? Ravening wolves. Ye shall know them how? By their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. A bad tree can pretend to have good fruit 
for a while. But if you watch it long enough, the bad fruit comes. Every tree that bringeth not good forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into fire. This is what Jesus specifically says about prophets. Wherefore, by their what? Fruit ye shall know them. What are the fruits? The fruits are that we have a strong denomination. In fact, when you look at Adventism, as we talked about in previous messages, there really is no one left truly protesting as Protestants anymore. Much of that is tied up in these writings. The book, The Great Conflict. If you've not read The Great Conflict, I just decided that I was like, you know, I'm going to read that book again. If you have not read The Great Controversy, you cannot fully understand the weight of the times in which we live. So what are some of the ones? This is from the Ellen White estate, a site again, must confess and, li- and uplift Jesus. What's the test? Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone in- out into the world. By this, you know the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. If you are saying someone says they're a prophet and they downplay Jesus, you're in trouble. How do you know? How, how have we seen that happen? Well, you make him just a prophet. So you, you look at the Quran and, and Islam, Jesus goes from being a Messiah to being a prophet when the Quran is written. Right? You look at Rastafarianism, which I don't think it has a book, but Jesus goes from being the Jesus of Scripture, the Heavenly Father, to being the, the Emperor of Ethiopia. Anytime you bring Jesus down, and this is why it's so dangerous, and we talked about the, the divinity of Christ in one whole message, if someone is denying the divinity of Christ that is not the spirit of God at work, it is a different spirit. So Ellen White writes, look, oh, look to Jesus and live. She lifts up Jesus. Here's what she says. She says, lift up Jesus, you, you that teach the people. Lift him up in sermon, in song, in prayer. Let all your powers be directed to pointing souls, confused, bewildered, lost to the Lamb of God. Lift him up, the risen Savior, and say to all who hear, come to him who hath loved us and hath given himself for us. Let the science of salvation be the burden of every sermon, the theme of every song. Let it be poured forth in every supplication. Bring nothing into your preaching to supplement Christ, the wisdom and power of God. Hold forth the word of life presenting Jesus as the hope of the penitent and the stronghold of every believer. Reveal the way of peace to the troubled and the despondent and show forth the grace and completeness of the Savior. She lifts up Jesus. Second, it must harmonize with the scripture. The test of the law and to the testimony, if they speak not according to this word, it is because what? There's no light in them. Ellen White wrote more than 100,000 pages, which provide us not only with an abundance of material for applying this test. So you can read, if you find in there that it doesn't harmonize with the scriptures, you, you can point it out. There's no way she would be able to survive this test. This is what she says. The mind that depends upon the judgment of others is certain, sooner or later, to be misled. And what this is saying is you must study and read for yourself. Again, I don't tell you to read this instead of the Bible. I say you read this with the Bible. The Bible first. And then you, as you read the scripture and you need clarification, these writings will help you. 
Yields good fruit. Beware of false prophets. By their fruit you shall know them. Her personal life, when she died, this is what the local newspaper in St. Helena, California said. The life of Mrs. White is an example. This is what the secular newspaper said. The life of Mrs. White is an example worthy of emulation by all. She was a humble, devout disciple of Christ and ever went about doing good. She was revered by all the members of the Seventh-day Adventist Church and honored and respected by all who appreciate noble womanhood, consecrated to unselfish labor, for the uplifting and betterment of mankind. When I remember when I was in Australia and I went to her house in Australia, they took me to the house and I was speaking to the person who gave us the tour. They were saying that there was a group of indigenous people um, that lived not far from the house and that they were, the, they were accusing this indigenous group of coming over and stealing things from where the Adventists had set up shop and were trying to do things. And many of them were ready to go and cause and, and raise Cain over these thefts. You know what Ellen White did? I saw her different after they told me this story. They said she set up a way to pay the people, gave them jobs among the Adventists so that they could help with the work of building up the mission uh, in that area. And so they employed them and brought them in. She didn't view them as others. She didn't go after them. She made them a part of the group and actually helped support them as, of course, their, their ways were being changed as, uh, uh, you know, European ways were taking over. And to this day, many of that group are Adventists. Her fruit. And we're going to talk about one of our big things next week. Prophecies must come to pass. As for the prophet who prophesies of peace, when the Lord of the prophet comes to pass, when the word of the prophet comes to pass, the prophet will be known as one whom the Lord has truly sent. Do their prophecies come to pass? In 1861, shortly before the American Civil War, conventional wisdom taught that there would be no war because the South wouldn't be so stupid as to start one. Or that it would be over quickly if needed there was a war. Eleanor Wright received two visions indicating, among other things, that there would be indeed be a long and protracted war with great carnage, prisoner of war camps, unspeakable squalor, filth, and disease. She even said that some parents in the congregation she spoke to would lose sons in the war. Two years later, Ellen White was proven right. How are true prophets treated? One of the ways you can tell a prophet is by how they're treated. Now, false prophets can be treated bad as well, but let me show you what I mean by this. Because remember, Jeremiah was treated bad, wasn't he? Remember, they threw Jeremiah in a pit. Isaiah was sawn in half. That's a terrible way to go. And I can go, Daniel was thrown in a lion's den. Lucky for him, he, he, you know, he was able to just hang out with the lions and chill. But yeah, look at this. Catholic Herald. Back, and this is from, I think, 2020. January of 2020, this article was put in the Catholic Herald. Heretic of the week. Ellen G. White. And let me show you how they try to twist Ellen White and misspeak. And this is what you find all over the internet. This is why you've got to study for yourself and look for truth. Here's what they say. Her ongoing revelations form the basis of the doctrine upon which she and her husband James founded the Seventh-day Adventist Church. Did they found the Seventh-day Adventist Church? No. They were two of the four people who founded the Seventh-day Adventist Church. Then she says, so-called because White claimed that Christ wanted to be worshipped on the Jewish Sabbath. Did she say it was a Jewish Sabbath or just the Sabbath? You see how they start mixing, twisting things up? She said, and it says, these doctrines included the revival of Jewish dietary customs 
Although most Adventists are vegetarian today, identification of the Pope as Antichrist, that's what got them upset, I'm sure, three separate divine persons rather than the Orthodox doctrine of the Trinity. Did she believe that? Absolutely not. She did not believe in three separate different gods making up the Trinity. And several other unique teachings. They go on to say, for the most part, Adventists are conscientious objectors, but they have specialized in medical roles during wartime. Similarly, the denomination has a generous commitment to hospitals and schools and were great practitioners of racial equality. We're going to come back to that next week. Their technolo technological savvy must be balanced against the proof asserted of the papacy's diabolical nature. That the non-existent inscription on the papal tiara adds up to 666 in Hebrew letters. Now, first of all, I could actually pull up for you an article from 1905 where the Catholic Church says that inscribed in the mitre of the Pope are the words vicarious philidea, vicar of the Son of God, that it is not Hebrew letters, but Roman numerals that is turned into that adds up to 666. Now, I don't, pre you know, it's a very controversial. I don't preach it, but they, again, they're getting it wrong. And this is what they do to a prophet, trying to discredit a prophet. That's what they did to Jeremiah. And because of that, many people died. So it, who's the heretic? Watch this. The Pope would like you to accept evolution and the Big Bang. Right? And this is not, I, I normally show the one on Pope John Paul II. This is Francis from, I think, 2014. Here's what, this is from the article. When we read about the creation in Genesis, we run the risk of imagining God was a magician. This is what the Pope said. With a magic wand able to do everything, but th that is not so, Francis said. He added, he created human beings and let them develop according to the internal laws that he gave to each one so they would reach their fulfillment. So wait a minute. You're saying he, he didn't have a magic wand, but he created them? And why, why, what you got to give Jesus a mag, God a magic wand for? Who's the heretic? In fact, the Roman Catholic Church has, this is just from an article, in fact, the Roman Catholic Church has recognized Darwinian evolution for the past 60 years. It openly rejects intelligent design and young earth creationism, saying that it depends, it pretends to be science. But the church's unique take on the theory, what is called theistic evolution, still shows that Catholics have largely missed the point. And it's not just the Catholics. Adventists are probably, former Adventists particularly, and some in the church, are often the worst enemies of these writings. I've heard people preach from the pulpit, discrediting and degrading the writings of Ellen White. If you are someone looking to come to God, if you're struggling in your spirituality, I challenge you to pick up the book, Steps to Christ, and read it. If you want to know Jesus better, as the formula I gave you earlier, take the book, The Desire of Ages, and read the chapters, take the time, Turn off your Netflix. Turn off the other stuff. Read the chapters and then read the, the, uh, the, in the Bible and then read the chapter in the Desire of Ages. And I want you to come back to me and tell me you are not transformed by doing it. There's a hatred against these writings because people don't want to be righteous. They don't want to give up the sins of this world. They do not want to shackle, uh, shake off the shackles of sin. And when they read Ellen White, they're convicted. And so they would rather throw out all the books so they can do what they want. This is what she says. There will be a hatred kindled against the testimony. Letter 40, 1890. There will be a hatred kindled against the testimonies, which is satanic. 
The workings of Satan will be to unsettle the faith of the churches in them for this reason. Satan cannot have so clear a track to bring in his deceptions and bind up souls in his delusions if the warnings and reproofs and counsels of the Spirit of God are heeded. Satan is constantly pressing in the spurious to lead away from the truth. The very last deception of Satan will be to make of none effect the testimony of the Spirit of God, her writings. She says, she quotes Proverbs 29, 18, where there is no vision, the people perish. Satan will work ingeniously in different ways and through different agencies to unsettle the confidence of God's remnant people in the true testimony. We're going to talk about that next week. This is from the Seventh-day Adventist Bible Commentary on, um, uh, on the extra notes on, on Revelation 19. That's the old SDA Bible Commentary. I can't even find one, paper one now. Uh, but this is this from it. The word prophecy describes any inspired message communicated by God through a prophet. See Matthew 19. Prophecy may be a prediction of future events. Look at this. I mentioned it earlier. Though more commonly it is not. The expression spirit of prophecy refers specifically to the manifestation of the spirit in the form of a special gift of the Holy Spirit that inspires the recipient and enables him to speak authoritatively as a representative of God, like Nathan did, when moved by the Holy Ghost to do so. The context of the expression in Revelation 19.10 defines the testimony of Jesus and the spirit of prophecy in this sense. In view of the fact that the remnant of chapter 12, 17 specifically refers to the church after the close of the 1260 prophetic days of verse 6 and 14, that is after 1798, chapter 12, 17 stands as a clear prediction of the special manifestation of the spirit or gift of prophecy in the church, our, in the church, in, uh, in the church in our day. Seventh day Adventists believe the ministry of Ellen G. White meets the specifications of Revelation 12, 17 in a unique way. Bible writers refer to more than 20 of their contemporaries who exercised the gift of prophecy, though their messages were not incorporated into the canon. I mentioned this earlier as well. Such were Nathan, Gad, Edo, Agabus, and others. It is evident that, furthermore, that the gift of prophecy was not limited to men, either in Old Testament or New Testament times, for there were prophetesses such as Deborah, in Judges, Huldah in Chronicles, and the four daughters of Philip in the book of Acts. Powerful. Last couple of slides. Selected message, book two. God has provided a bomb. This, oh, before I, I say let me say why I put this in there, because it, it doesn't seem like it would fit. One of the reasons, and my wife sends these around, this is one of the ones she sent around this week, from the Ellen White commentaries on the Sabbath school lesson. And then we have a friends of the family who are just bearing a child and this came in and I sent it on to that church group that was like our church group down in uh, down in Naranja down there in Miami Florida and when I read it I said this is why I was studying for the message I said this is why the spirit of prophecy is not only relevant it is powerful and, pr and productive for the saints listen to what she says about when you're going through a struggle she says God has provided a bomb for every wound if you're going through something now listen to what to these words there is a bomb in Gilead. There is a physician there. Will you not now, as uh, not now as never before, study the scriptures? 
Notice he points you to the scriptures. Seek the Lord for wisdom in every emergency. In every trial, plead with Jesus to show you a way out of your troubles. Then your eyes will be opened to behold the remedy and to apply to your case the healing promises that have been recorded in his word. In this way, watch this church, in this way, the enemy will find no place to lead you into mourning and unbelief. But instead, you'll have faith and hope and courage in the Lord. The Holy Spirit will give you clear discernment that you may see and appropriate every blessing that will act as an antidote to grief, as a branch of healing to every drop of bitterness that is placed to your lips. Watch this. Somebody's going through something. Wait till the last one. This one gets it. Every drop of bitterness will be mingled with the love of Jesus. And in place of complaining of the bitterness, you'll realize that Jesus' love and grace are so mingled with sorrow that it has been turned into subdued, holy, sanctified joy. Challenge you. Find another Christian writer that writes like that outside of the canonized scripture. I challenge you to find them. I love the writer. I read Spurgeon. I read many of the, the, the classic Christian writers. There's something different. So, we're going to end here, but next week, this is what we're going to hit on Ellen White. Number one, was she a plagiarist? If you don't hit this one, you can't get through it. But we're going to talk about this next week. Number two, was she a racist? I was sitting at my desk at Loma Linda University, and a nurse came in, and she said, Slammed, it was a white nurse, slammed the papers down from Sabbath school. She went to Sabbath school at the University Church the day before, slammed the papers down. Ellen White was a racist. I said, woman, let me finish my oatmeal. <laughs> Trying to get ready for the shift. I'm going to show you next week why that is a, a, one of the, again, the hatred. I'm going to show you next week that she was years ahead. Did her prophecies come true? We'll talk a bit more about that next week. And were her writings on health accurate? So next week we'll hit those four. But I want to finish with this story and then we're done. Um, that comes from uh, artist uh, Alfred Lee. And this is the testimony of, uh, of Yahshua's life by Rabbi Joe Kagan. And you can see the, the beautiful picture that is at the, the Adventist headquarters in Silver Springs, Maryland. Um, and this, this uh, rabbi um, was from Eastern Europe. And um, he was at Weimar Institute because maybe, I'm assuming because he needed some health work done and he happened to be there and found a book, Patriarchs and Prophets, and read it. Now, he was a man who hated, the rabbi hated the Christian church. He hated the Christian church because his aunt had been sexually assaulted in the worst possible way as a Catholic priest held up a, a, a cross, according to what he said, and said, this is what you get for killing Christ. To, the, to his Jewish aunt, obviously. So, of course, he had no desire to, to have anything to do with Christians uh, ever again. Ever. And he would not even read the New Testament at all. However, he studied deeply the Old Testament in the Hebrew and understood it, uh, did Rabbi Joseph Kagan. He was living in California, uh, or he's in California at Weimar. And when he read the book, Patriarchs and Prophets, or Prophets and Kings, one of the two of them, he read one of them, um, he says, this is what he says. Uh, uh, this is um, Alfred Lee giving the testimony. He says that Rabbi, well, the rabbi, he was amazed of her knowledge, saying that the information in this book 
Patriarchs and Prophets, there's the book, is Mishnaic. The Mishnah is part of the Hebrew scholarship. He said that the Mishnah had only been translated into English 30 years ago and that only high-level rabbis knew this information. He couldn't believe it. He said, how did this woman get this information? This is the history of my people, and it is very accurate. He also said that you have to, you have to know Hebrew to be able to write like this because her sentence structure is not English, it's Hebrew. This is what the rabbi says about Ellen White's writing. The rhythm, the meter, the arrangement of the words and expressions are not English. He said it's as if she wrote in Hebrew and it was translated into English. He studied them. And because of the reading that and studying with them, the rabbi began to study and get to know Jesus and accepted Christ as his savior. Finally, outside of Sacramento, we were at his secret baptism of the rabbi in the Bear River above Sacramento on Saturday night, December 22nd, 1979. There were four of us present. He could not even tell his wife and his and son that he was now a Christian after reading Spirit of Prophecy and studying the Word of God. As he came up out of the cold water, praising God and singing to his new Messiah, he said, I am now a complete Jew. I have now accepted the Old and New Testament and the Messiah that all Jewish prophets told us about. I challenge you. Don't let the books just sit. Somebody said the red books should be called the unread books. Read them. Next week we're going to take an even deeper dive. But I want to go back to this story for just one second as we close. The purpose of her writing is to lead people to Christ. The reason I can trust her writings is that when I read it, it never leads me to her. I, I skipped over some of the slides on Joseph Smith, who, who founded the Mormon church, and Nostradamus. I'm going to go into some, I say, eh, no point. False prophets. We talk about um, Jim Jones, we talked about a few weeks ago, led everybody to Guyana to their death. False prophets. She was different. She led people to Christ. She was vilified and persecuted, not only by people outside the church, but even inside Adventism while she was alive. She had to leave the country. I challenge you, as a part of the apologetics, read it for yourself. Test it. If you need the books, the church will supply them. But they will powerfully transform your Christian walk. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this opportunity to study your word and how it relates to the end time gift of the spirit of prophecy. Lord, I pray, I know that these are not simple uh, messages. Many folk, uh, maybe this is even something new for them. Father God, I just ask that you would lead them to books like Steps to Christ, The Desire of Ages, and The Great Controversy. Not so that they read Ellen White, but so that they are more acquainted with Christ and we're on fire to study the Holy Scripture. We praise you, Lord, that these writings drive us to the Bible, to read and study it in depth, to know it for ourselves, to be able to share this great truth with a dying world. Lord, I pray for your people here. Lord, there are many grieving, lost loved ones this weekend. There are many, Lord, who are dealing with sickness this weekend. Lord, there are many who are dealing with doubt and fighting addiction. Lord, liberate and free them this weekend, Lord. 
bring power to your people. Father God, we will finish this work with our prayer in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.